many Christians would be grieved to learn that the number of people around the world who have little or no access to the gospel is measured in the billions. However, we will not feel the full weight of these statistics until we recognize the fate of those who never hear about what Christ has accomplished for their salvation. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. And in today's message, David Platt shows us from the book of Romans that those who never hear the gospel stand condemned before a just and holy God. And this realization makes the church's mission that it is making disciples of all nations all the more urgent, and it should compel us to ask God how he would have us be a part of making the gospel known to those who have never heard. Here's David with a sermon titled, What Happens to People Who Never Hear the Gospel? from the book of Romans. Hey, this is David Platt. I just want to say something uh, real briefly uh, to those of you who are not a part of the McLean Bible Church family. So maybe you're watching this via video or listening to this via podcast. Um, What you're about to hear, uh, dive into, is a journey that we are taking as a church where we have been fasting and praying and asking God to set apart, just like he did in Acts chapter 13, some from among us, from among our church family, to leave here in Metro Washington, D.C., to leave here to take the gospel where it's not yet gone. And uh, so we're asking God to do that work among us. But as I've been preparing, I have been praying that God would use uh, these next few minutes via podcast or video in many more people's hearts beyond the McLean Bible Church family that he would set apart some of you who are listening to this right now, to take the gospel, to leave where you live and take the gospel where it's not yet gone. And so I just want to ask you to listen to or watch this with an open heart that's not just hearing what God is doing in our church family here in Metro Washington, D.C., but to be open to what God is doing in your heart. And at the end of the sermon, I give an opportunity for people in our church family to stand if they believe God may be leading them to move to where the gospel's not yet gone, even if it's just for two months as a starting point, or maybe much longer than that. And so, obviously, if you're not a part of this church family, I want to encourage you If God speaks to your heart in this way in the next few minutes, that you would go to your church family, to leaders in your church, as soon as possible and share with them what God is doing in your heart. And I've just prayed that God would use uh, these next few minutes in God's word, even via video or podcast, to do Acts 13 in all kinds of different people's hearts. Uh, of all ages, whether you're a student, uh, retiree, uh, anywhere in between, singles, husbands and wives, moms and dads, I just want to invite you to open your heart to the possibility that God may be leading you to take the gospel where it's not yet gone and to listen to his word now with an open heart toward that end. 
If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Romans chapter 15. If you need to use your table of contents, feel free to Romans chapter 15. As you're turning, I want to welcome those of you in Montgomery County and Prince William and Loudoun. It's good to be together across Washington around God's Word. And I want to welcome people online. I don't usually mention this, but I want to welcome even those who may be listening to this later because I just pray that what we walk through in the word of the next few minutes would have far-reaching effects in the years to come. Today is the day we've been looking forward to since last Sunday as we began asking God who he might be setting apart among us to take the gospel where it is not yet gone. Now, for those of you who may be visiting, visiting with us, may not be familiar with the term gospel, it's a word that means good news. It describes the good news of how God loves us and has made a way for us to be forgiven of all our sin against him and brought back into a relationship with him through faith in Jesus. And last week... We talked about how over two billion people in the world today have little to no knowledge of this good news. They're unreached by the gospel. Let me put a map back up here on the screen that we looked at last week that illustrates the number and locations of unreached people around the world. So if you remember, for those of you who weren't here, the green on this map represents places where there is an established or significant church. Obviously, does not mean that these are Christian places or that everybody in these places is a Christian, but it means that these are places in the world where churches have been established that are proclaiming the gospel. Then the yellow on this map represents places where there's a formative or nominal church. So think weaker church presence, maybe even churches that are not proclaiming the gospel. And then red represents unreached or least reached places. Those are places in the world where there is relatively little gospel access, meaning there are few churches preaching the gospel and few Christians proclaiming the gospel. And last week we talked about how God is calling some, not all, but some, maybe many, followers of Jesus to leave where they live in the green to go to places and people where the gospel has not yet gone in the red. We read together, Acts chapter 13, how saw how the church in Antioch was worshiping and fasting and praying one day, and God set apart some people from that church to leave Antioch and spread the gospel where it had not yet gone. So we said, last Sunday, this next week, we're going to pray, and we're going to fast, we're going to come back together this Sunday, and we're going to ask God... Like we're not just going through religious motions, coming to a worship service, kind of moving on. Like We are meeting with God right now in this room, and today specifically, we are meeting with God, and we are asking him, God, who among us in this room and other campuses, our church, are you calling out to leave Washington, D.C. for the spread of the gospel to places it hasn't gone? 
What that means is at the end of our time together today, I'm gonna give these two invitations. One, I'm gonna invite people to place your faith in Jesus and to make that public through baptism today. And then at the end of the time we have, I'm gonna ask every follower of Jesus in this room and another campus, I'm gonna ask you, do you believe God may be leading you to leave Metro Washington, D.C. for at least two months. So we're basically just talking longer than a one or two week mission trip. I think anywhere between two months and the rest of your life to leave here to spread his gospel among unreached people, places in the world. And I want to emphasize may, like, do you believe God may be leading you? Because I want to encourage you. Like this is not a decision you need to make on your own. This is a decision that we as a church want to come alongside you as you make. That's what happened in Acts chapter 13. The church affirmed Paul and Barnabas going out from them for the spread of the gospel. So if you say today, I believe God may be leading me in this way, then today we'll begin a process during which we want to sit down with you and discern if God is indeed leading you in this way, what that might look like. So at the end of our time in the Word, a few minutes from now, I'm going to invite people who believe God may be leading you in this way, I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to gather around you and pray for you like they did in Acts 13 as you begin this process. So with these two invitations in mind, I want to pray specifically for what's about to happen. So will you bow your heads with me? And just let's come before God together right now and pray. God, we pray that in the next few minutes you would bring many people to believe in Jesus. God, we pray that by your Spirit you would open eyes to people's need for Jesus and you would bring them trust in Jesus and we pray that you would give them and others who have not been baptized courage to publicly confess faith in Jesus through baptism. And then we pray, oh God, that you would call out in the next few minutes that you would call out students, singles, husbands and wives, moms and dads, grandparents, retirees from all across this gathering to move for a period of time to places where the gospel's not yet gone. So God, we all put our lives, including my own, on the table right now before you. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, who are you calling out from among us? Please speak to us, O God, by your Spirit. Now we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's just be honest here. From the start, what we're talking about today is crazy. Why would any one of us leave the comforts of life here and move to a remote village in Afghanistan or a 100% Muslim city in the Middle East 
or to an impoverished refugee camp in Bangladesh. And these may sound like extreme examples, but they're not. Like unreached people are unreached for a reason. They're hard to reach, they're difficult to reach. Some situations they are dangerous to reach. We've said before, like all the easy ones are taken. So why would you leave here to go there as a single, as a couple, as a family with young kids or teenagers, as a grandparent with grandkids you want to spend time with, as a retiree? Like why would you spend your last years there instead of here? In order to answer that question, I want to flip the question and I want to ask what happens if we don't go? What happens if we stay here? So we have said that over two billion people are in the red right now. People just like you and me, like singles, couples, moms, dads, kids, grandkids, just like our kids. And these places in the world who don't have access to the gospel, which means so practically what that means, if you live in an unreached part of the world, the likelihood is that you will be born, you will live, and you will die without ever even hearing the gospel. Without ever even hearing the good news of God's love in Jesus. No one will ever tell you the truth about what God has done to save you from your sins. Well, if that's the case, it begs the question, doesn't it? Like, what happens to those people when they die? What happens to people who've never heard the gospel when they die? That's a pretty important question for over two billion people in the world. And I think most Christians in America where the gospel has come either don't know that there's over two billion people in the world who've never heard the gospel and don't know that or hardly ever think about that. I prefer to think about things right around us in the world and not that reality in the world. Or if we know this, most Christians assume like surely they will be okay in eternity. Even if they've never heard the gospel. I heard a pastor of a really large church near my hometown last week, and I'd call out his name, but I think I need to call him first. He was asked this question, and he said that God is loving, so assuming people genuinely try to please God with their lives, they will go to heaven. So is that what the Bible teaches? And unfortunately, we don't have a verse in the Bible that I could take you to right now and we read. Some of you may wonder, what happens to people who never hear about Jesus? And here's the answer. But that doesn't mean the Bible is silent on this question. In fact, I want to show you that we have an entire book in the Bible written to answer this question. It's the book we've been reading as a church over the last week, the book of Romans. Let me show it to you. Look at me at the end of the book, Romans chapter 15, verse 18, because at the end of the book, Paul, who's writing this letter to the church at Rome, tells us why he's writing the letter. Follow along with me, Romans chapter 15, verse 18. Paul writes, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me 
to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. All right, let's pause there. Let me help you understand what we just read. So last week, I used some maps that talked about how Paul and Barnabas left Antioch to spread the gospel where it hadn't gone. So let's, let's pick back up where we left off last week with these maps. So Antioch's over here on the far right, eastern part of this map. The pinkish-reddish arrows represent Paul and Barnabas going out from Antioch, going and taking the gospel to places where it had not yet gone. In all these cities, they're sharing the gospel. People are coming to faith in Christ. They're gathering together in churches. The blue arrows represent them coming back to Antioch. So that was Paul's first journey into places where the gospel had not yet gone, sent out by the church at Antioch. That set the stage for the second journey he took. Antioch, again, over here on the right, he goes north, this time with Silas. They pick up Timothy along the way. They're going into places where he's already gone, and that's when God says, I want you to go to new places where the gospel is not yet gone. So they go up north to Philippi, Thessalonica, down to Corinth. We were reading 2 Corinthians last week, Athens, Ephesus, all these places where People are coming to faith in Jesus for the first time. Churches are starting for the first time. They go down to Jerusalem, and then they go back to Antioch. Again, that was kind of home base for Paul. That then sets the stage for his third journey. This time, he leaves Antioch, and you'll notice he goes to all the places he's been. No new territory. But when he gets to Corinth, right here on this third journey, he sits down and he writes a letter. You'll never guess what letter that is. The book of Romans. He writes a letter to the church at Rome. So let's ask the question, why would Paul sit down in Corinth right here saying, I want to write a letter to the church at Rome in which he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to take an offering for the saints there, but then I want to come to you. Why did he want to come to Rome? Well, let's broaden the map here and let's see this picture. Here's Antioch, way over here on the right, Jerusalem, Corinth, where Paul writes this letter. Here's Rome. Paul says to the church at Rome, there is no more work for me to do in these regions. That is an outlandish statement. Are you serious? Like, no more work? No more gospels? It was like, everybody a Christian in these regions? No. Everybody was not a Christian in those regions. But disciples had made, church has been planted, the gospel was being proclaimed. And Paul says, it's time to move on to where the gospel is not yet gone, where they've not yet heard. That's why I'm writing a letter to you in Rome, because I need you to help me get the gospel where? To Spain. 
Now it makes sense why he wasn't planning to go back to Antioch. Is Antioch the best place to help him get the gospel to Spain? No, he's writing a letter to the church at Rome to show them why they need to work to help him get the gospel to those who've never heard it in Spain. That's why he's writing this letter. And just a side note here that's really significant, like every time I or anybody talks about taking the gospel to unreached peoples, places around the world, some Christians will chime in and say, well, why do we need to focus there when there's so much need here? Like, Paul, why go to Spain? There's need in Corinth. Now, you read 1 Corinthians. It's a messed up place. There's tons of need there. Why are we talking about getting the gospel to Spain? In the same way, so go to our contemporary map. People will say, why are we talking about going to Afghanistan or Turkey? Like, don't you see Pastor, like all the need in Washington, D.C., don't you care about here? As some Christians would actually prefer we not talk a lot about global mission. And, well, Satan would prefer that as well. And I want to encourage you not to be in his camp. And God wants all the nations to know his love, including the nations right here and the nations far from here. So absolutely, there is need in Washington, D.C., and God is calling many of us to spend our lives for the spread of the gospel right here, just like many people stayed in Antioch in the Bible. But God is also calling many people to live for the spread of the gospel there. And for those God calls to stay here, God calls us to pray and work and give to support those who are going there. We have a whole book in the Bible telling the church to work together to get the gospel where it's not yet gone. That's, that's why we're doing what we're doing today. That's why we're praying for God to send people out. For the 10,000 people gathered at NBC today, like surely he's calling some, maybe many, to two billion people who've never even heard his name. And that does not mean we don't care about Washington, D.C. It means we care about what God cares about, Washington, D.C. and the world, including Afghans and Turks and Baloch in Pakistan and Rohingya in Myanmar and Darfur in Sudan. Because, just pause. When we think here, our first thought is not enemies. Our first thought is people created by God who he loves and has sent his son to die for. And And we've got to ask the question, what happens to those people if we don't go? Well, let's ask the book of Romans, since that's why Paul is writing this letter. Let me show you seven truths in the book of Romans that answer our question, what happens if we don't go and share the gospel with those who haven't heard it? And we're going to hit them pretty quick, but see, hear what God teaches us in his word. Number one, all people know God. All people know God. So this is Romans 1, 18 through 21. 
The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth of God by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God, listen to them, is, listen to this, is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. And it says in verse 21, for although they knew God, plain and simple, the Bible is saying here that all people everywhere, all over this map, have knowledge of God, no matter where they live. God has made himself known clearly in creation, in our hearts, so that all are without excuse. No one can say, you didn't show yourself. He has shown himself to all. Of course, not all people say they believe in God. That leads to the second truth. All people reject God. Romans 1, 21 through 25. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So this is the reality of sin in every person's heart, in my heart, in your heart, and in every person around the world. We have all sinned against God, turned from God's ways to our own ways, from God's truth to our thoughts. All of us have. Which then leads to truth number three. There are no innocent people in the world. These, these initial verses in Romans, Romans 1, 2, and 3, some of the most sobering verses in all of Scripture. Like from Romans 1, 18 to 2, 16, Paul talks about the sinfulness of the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And you can almost hear the Jewish people like amening at every verse. Like, yes, they are bad. And then he gets to chapter 2, verse 17, and he says, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you've been instructed by the law, and then he starts talking about their sinfulness. He starts talking about how God's name has been blasphemed among the Gentiles because of them. It all comes to a head in chapter 3, verse 9 through 20, where we see this summary of humanity. Chapter, chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. A poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways in the way of peace. They do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In other words, all people everywhere are guilty of sin before a holy God. And here's why this point is so important. Because so many times this question is asked, like someone will ask, well, Pastor, what, what happens like, to the innocent man or woman or child in this remote part of the world who's never heard the gospel when they die? And if you were to ask me that question, I would say, without question, based on the Bible, those people go to heaven, even though they've never heard the gospel. Without question, that innocent man, woman, child would go to heaven without ever hearing the gospel. 
Because they have no need to hear the gospel. If they are innocent of sin, they don't need to hear about Jesus died to save them from sin. If they're innocent of sin, they'll go straight to heaven. Of course they'll go to heaven. The only problem is those people do not exist. Do you see how we bias the question from the start, like toward us and our goodness and away from God? Like God is unjustly sentencing people to eternal judgment who are innocent? Like, that's not true. There are no innocent people in the world just waiting to hear the gospel. There are guilty people all over the world. That's why they need to hear the gospel. Amen. Which leads to truth number four. All people stand condemned for rejecting God. Again, this is so sobering, but Romans 3, 19 and 20, 19 and 20 just sums it up. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth is silenced and the whole world accountable to God. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. In other words, not only are all people guilty, silenced before God, but there is no amount of good we can do to overcome our guilt. All people are condemned for rejecting God. And this is true regardless of whether or not we've heard the gospel. This too is really significant because I think many professing Christians think like the pastor I mentioned is teaching. Unfortunately, I would say the majority of pastors in America are teaching that if certain people never hear the gospel, like God is loving, that God will let them into heaven. Like he, God loves them and they never even had a chance to hear. And absolutely God is loving. But think about this for a minute. Like, I feel the emotion in the question. Like, truly, I feel it. I've met so many of these people all around the world, men, women, kids, who've never heard the gospel. But if it's true, they will go to heaven precisely because they've never heard the gospel. Almost like, okay, since they haven't heard, that's like a pass into heaven. If that is true, then what is the worst thing we could possibly do for their eternal state? Go and tell them the gospel, Right? I think about it. Unreached people, before we got there with the gospel, 100% of them were going to heaven. Now that we came, they might go to hell. Thanks a lot. Keep your gospel to yourself. Live it up over here. Don't come here. You just think practically, right here in our city. Like there are people from the nations in our city, some who haven't heard the gospel. The difference is they have access to it that's not over here. But imagine you meet somebody on the street. You say, what do you know about Jesus? They say, I've never even heard about Jesus. Okay, if you believe that person standing in front of you is going to heaven precisely because they've never heard about Jesus, then what are you going to tell them? You're going to say, well, if anybody tries to tell you about him, I put your fingers in your ears and yell really loud and run away. Right? Like, no, it totally undercuts everything we see in Scripture. And we're, we're told to go to the nations for a reason. The point 
here is regardless of whether or not somebody has heard the gospel, all stand guilty before God and sin, deserving of eternal separation from him. This is where Romans 3.20, I just picture Paul in tears, like putting the pen down, just weeping. And then I picture him like picking up that pen, wiping the tears and saying, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the what? Glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God has presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. What that means is God has chosen to pour out the judgment due sin upon his son in the place of sinners. Ha, huh. truth number five, God has made a way of salvation for the lost. God has made a way. We have all sinned against God. Every single person in this room, at other campuses, every single person in the world, we are all separated from God. If we die in the state of separation from God, we will spend eternity separated from God in judgment for our sin. But yes, God is loving. He loves us and has made a way for us to be saved from our sin. God has sent his son, Jesus, to pay the price for our sin. Jesus has taken all the payment. Do your sin my sin upon himself on the cross and he has risen from the dead in victory over sin so that anyone, anywhere in this room, other campuses, anywhere on this map, no matter who you are, what you've done, God has made a way of salvation for you. And the way, the way is faith in Jesus. The way is not you working your way to God. The way is you trusting in what God has done to make his way to you. It's the greatest news in all the world. God will save you from all your sin, give you eternal life with him if you will trust in his love for you. So do that today. Like if, you, if you have never done that, I exhort you, I urge you, trust in Jesus today. Believe in Jesus and be baptized. That leads to truth number six. People cannot come to God apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Can't come to God. People can't come to God apart from faith in Jesus. It's Romans 3, 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? That of observing the law? Basically that of what you do? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will judge the circumcised, that's the Jewish people by faith, and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, so that same faith. The whole picture, and it just goes on. Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, like it's all by faith. This is how you and I and people all over the world can be saved from sin by faith in Jesus. But that brings us back to our question, doesn't it? Like how then can people put their faith in Jesus if they never hear of Jesus? And that is the exact question. Like the exact question words Paul uses in Romans 10. Turn over there with me. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. 
everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I think the picture here is crystal clear. People cannot put their faith in Jesus if they never hear about Jesus. You keep going down in your Bible, you look at Romans 10, 17, it says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Jesus, the word of Christ. So people can't put their faith in Jesus if they don't hear about Jesus. And if they don't put their faith in Jesus, they cannot be saved from their sin. So get the picture. Over two billion people. They cannot go to heaven if they don't have faith in Jesus and they cannot have faith in Jesus if they don't hear about Jesus. It's simple logic. And you keep going, simple logic, they won't hear unless Somebody tells them. Truth number seven. Christ tells, commands his church to make the gospel known in all nations. I want to, I want to show you this. I want you, to, I want you to look here in Romans 10 at the verbs in this passage in reverse. And as you do, you will see God's plan for how the gospel will go to all the nations. How is the gospel going to go to all those people? Watch this. Start at the end. So, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, those who are sent out. So this is where it starts. Jesus sends followers to all nations. He sends out his followers. How can they preach unless they're sent? So what do those who are sent do? They preach. Followers proclaim the gospel to all nations. When you see that word preach, it's not they will stand up in front of uh, a lot of people behind a podium and on a big stage. Like, no, this is just speaking the gospel to other people, proclaiming the gospel. So Jesus sends his followers to all nations. His followers proclaim the gospel to all nations. When that happens, what happens? How will they hear without someone preaching them? So when we preach, people in all nations will hear. Like, unless we're proclaiming the gospel to a wall, when we share the gospel, people will hear it. And when people hear, how will they believe if they've not heard? When they hear, what will they do? Hearers in all nations will believe. Now we know, not everybody who hears the gospel, when we share it, will believe. We know that around us right here, as well as different places in the world. But don't miss this. We have confidence that some will believe. Like, remember the end of the story? Revelation 7, there's coming a day when people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, all the people groups represented on this map are one day going to be gathered around the throne of Jesus singing his praises for his salvation. You know what that means? That means you or I can go anywhere on that map, share the gospel with people there, and somebody's coming out. I guaranteed somebody's coming out. So hearers in all nations will believe. When they believe, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? Believers in all nations will call and those who call from all nations will be what? Saved. So there it is. There's the plan. Now, look back at the plan there in those notes and ask the question. 
Where is the only place this plan can break down? All right, let's, let's think. Let's go from the end. Will those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved? Yes. Guaranteed. Will those who believe call? Yes. Those who believe will call in the name of the Lord. Be saved. Will those who hear believe? Again, we said not all will, but some will. Guaranteed. Those who hear will believe. When followers of Jesus proclaim the gospel, will people hear? Yes. Yes, unless we're talking to a wall, they will hear. And jump to the beginning. Is Jesus still sending his followers? Yes. Or is he taking a generation off? I don't think he has. Jesus is still sending his followers. The only potential breakdown in the plan is when followers of Jesus who have the gospel decide not to go and proclaim the gospel to people who haven't heard it. When followers of Jesus say, we're just going to all live our lives in places where the gospel has gone and we're not going to leave and go where it hasn't. And people look at this map and say, well, I mean, surely God has other ways, right? God's working in dreams and visions. Don't you hear stories about dreams and visions across the Muslim world, this or that? And yes, like absolutely, God works in all kinds of ways, including dreams and visions. But you will not find one verse in the Bible, in the book of Acts, where the gospel is going forward apart from a human instrument proclaiming it. Even you got Cornelius, dream, vision. Peter, get up, go there. It's always through people. Like, could God use other means? Sure he could. God has the power to write the book of Romans in the sky tonight. And boom, they're all reached. But he's not doing that. You know why? Because God in his sovereign wisdom and kindness has chosen to use you and me to carry the greatest news to the ends of the earth. And if we don't go, they won't hear. And they won't believe, and they won't call, and they won't be saved. Like, do you see it, church? Like, we are plan A for the spread of the gospel to the nations, and there is no plan B. Which is why I want to say to you as pastor of this church that we will be disobedient to Jesus as a church if we do not send out and support followers of Jesus who are taking the gospel where it is not yet gone. There are two billion people in the world, like men and women and kids, who don't need a church of 10,000 in Metro Washington, D.C. with millions upon millions of dollars at our disposal saying, we're just going to focus right here. And those two billion people need a church in Metro Washington, D.C. that's making disciples and multiplying churches right here in Metro Washington, D.C. and sending disciples of Jesus to places where the good news of God's love is still not gone sending disciples in all kinds of ways through all kinds of jobs that God has ordained, whether it's the government taking you around the world, through medicine, teaching, engineering, as students, professionals, retirees. Like, what better way to spend your retirement than introducing people to Jesus who've never even heard his name? That is better than golf in South Florida. What better way? What do you want to be doing in your last years before you see your Savior's face? Make them count. Like the harvest is plentiful. He said it's plentiful. The problem is the workers are few. So God, send out many workers. You might think, well, David, what kind of difference can 
my life really make? And my family really make? What, what kind of difference can one church really make? Well, let's consider Paul, one man who wrote this book. Let's go back to these, uh, this map that showed Corinth where he's writing this book to Rome, trying to get the gospel to Spain. If you can tell on this map, and it's, it's pretty faint, but right around Rome, there's a little bit of yellow right here, and around Antioch and north of Jerusalem, there's a little bit of yellow. Those yellow areas represent the areas that were known to contain Christians at the beginning of Paul's journeys, like before he was sent out from Antioch. So you can see a little bit of yellow there. In just a second, I want to show you a map that shows the regions known to contain Christians at the end of these three journeys that Paul took. And I want you to see if you can tell a difference. Look at this next map with me. You see this yellow light up right here? The specific places where Paul had traveled to with the gospel. And I'm not saying Paul was the only one who was impacting this map. But in light of the journeys we just saw, I would say Paul had a significant influence on that map. But you will notice what is not yellow. Spain. Paul goes to Jerusalem, just like he said, ends up getting arrested there, ends up coming to Rome, not the way he had planned, in chains. As far as we know, never makes it to Spain. So, what are we to conclude? Paul, you tried, but you failed. Like, you wanted your life to count, but getting the gospel of those who'd never heard of it over here, but didn't happen. Before we draw that conclusion, let me show you one more map. And this map is gonna show you the regions that were known to contain Christians within two short centuries after Paul's death. And I want you to see if you can tell a difference in this map. Again, I'm not saying Paul's the only one who impacted that map. But I am saying do not underestimate for a second what God will do through one life, one family, one church family for the spread of his good news in the world. So my question is, like NBC church family, like what kind of impact are we gonna have on this map we've had up here the whole time? It represents our world. Like, just put that other map up there. I just want you to see it. Like, I want you to think about us right here. Like, we have a hundred plus nations represented in our church, in one of the most significant cities in the world. God has put us in a prime position to impact this map if we will take it. And I want to say, based on the word of God, let's take it. Let's periodically, like we're doing today, just lay our lives on the table, all of us, including me and my family, and just ask, God, are you setting some of us apart to go? And then we just do whatever God says to do. So that's what we're gonna do. And right now, I wanna ask the question, just every single follower of Jesus in this room and other campuses, I wanna ask you, is God calling you? In light of this gospel, in light of the need, like is God calling you to leave Metro Washington, D.C. for at least two months, maybe much longer, to spread his gospel among unreached people and places in the world? 
And if you think God may be leading you to that, then in just a second, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And I wanna be clear. Like you're, you're standing, one, doesn't mean you're committing to pack your bags tomorrow and be gone. Standing doesn't mean you've got it all figured out. Like you're standing is saying, I believe God may be calling me in this way. And today, I want to share that with the church. I want to start a process that if God continues to lead, we'll move in that direction. It may be soon. It may be a while from now. We're going to give those who stand away for you to communicate to us. And we'll begin the process today of praying and seeking God with you along these lines. I also want to be clear that if you are standing that will not mean that you are a super Christian. And if you are sitting, that will not mean that you are a lesser Christian. There's no such thing as two-tiered Christianity. The ultimate issue in this moment is not whether you are standing or sitting. The ultimate issue is whether you are obeying God's Spirit in your life. Along those lines, some of you are married. Maybe one of you is sensing God may be leading you in this way. You don't know what your spouse is thinking right now. Obviously, this is something you want to talk about with them. But here's what I want to invite you to do. Even if just one of you is thinking this, then I want to invite both of you to stand. Like if you weren't planning on standing and then you see your husband or wife stand next to you, then you stand with them. And in that, just be saying together, at least one of us is sensing this in our hearts. So we want people to pray with us for us. Likewise, if you have kids that obviously would be affected by this, and I would invite them to stand with you as well. Or maybe there are kids, teenagers, who are sensing God speaking to you about spending your life where the gospel hasn't gone. And you may not be ready to move out of your house right now, but we want to begin praying with you about how God may be leading you in the future. So I want to invite you to stand if you are sensing God speaking to you in this way. And parents, I invite you to stand with them in support of what God may be doing in them. I talk with so many college, high school graduate students around the country who want to go to the nations, but their Christian parents are unwilling to help them get there. May that not be true among us. Regardless, the whole idea is if God is speaking to your heart for you to take a first step today, even just in prayer. Sound good? Yeah. All right. So here's the moment. All across this room, at every campus, is God calling you to leave Metro Washington, D.C. for at least two months, maybe much longer, to spread his gospel among unreached people and places in the world. And if you are sensing that God may be calling you to do this, then I want to invite you to stand where you are right now. Across this room, other campuses. Give just a moment, anybody else? Amen. 
All right, so here's what I want to do. I want us to do Acts 13. I'm going to invite the rest of us to stand. And if there's anybody standing around you, just kind of gather around them, put a hand on their shoulders. If there's nobody around you, you can just stay where you are. But if there's anybody around you who's standing, then just gather around them, put a hand on their shoulders. And I'm going to lead us in prayer for these. Let's, let's pray together. Oh God, we, we confess together today as a church that you are Lord of the nations. That one day every knee represented on this map and every tongue, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God, we want them to know your love your grace, your salvation before they stand face to face with you in sin. So please, God, please bless, lead, guide these brothers and sisters who have stood. We, we praise you for your grace in them. We praise you for saving them from their sins. We praise you for all you have done to bring them to this point. And so God, we pray that you would lead them from this point, just every single detail. We pray more than anything for their union with you, Jesus, just intimacy with you, and you would keep them close to you. We know that as they take this step, that's just stepping into more spiritual warfare. So we pray for their protection, for their, your guidance, your direction in their lives. You would direct their every step now in the days to come. And God, we pray, we ask boldly that there would be people groups on that map, places on that map that go from red to green because of lives in this room. God, we ask for that. We ask there would be people, individuals on that map who hear the gospel for the first time because of lips in this room. And God, for all those who, who are sitting in that moment, God, we pray you help us be faithful disciple makers here, among the nations here, and that we would not expect these who are standing to make all the sacrifices, that we would sacrifice to support them, we would sacrifice to help them in the work to which you've called them, us, together. God, makes the church that counts for your glory among the nations in D.C. and far from D.C. God, please, may it be so. We just pray across all our campuses that indeed, in the days to come, you would send these out in the power of your spirit in ways that resound to your glory, the good of the nations, and our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I invite you to stay standing. Just stay standing where you are. Uh, so those of you who stood just a minute ago, uh, here's the deal. I want to ask you like right now to text missions to this number that's on the screen. So this is just a way for you immediately to communicate to us what will happen is you text this number like this. I can't think of many times where I encourage like texting in a worship gathering, but this would be one. This is texting to the glory of God for sure. And so you text missions to this number, you'll get a form sent back to you that you can fill out just with basic information about who you are, what God's doing in your heart, and then that can 
can communicate to us, begin a process with us. At the same time, we don't want to just, uh, we don't want this just to be like, an, so it was prayed for and I texted. Like, we want to have some personal interaction if possible today. So here's the deal. In just a second, we're going to do what we uh, oftentimes do at this point in the worship gathering. Uh, and we're going to come to these tables and get elements to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But I, I mentioned in the beginning two invitations. So one, based on what we just did, if, if you stood just a minute ago, said, I believe God may be leading me in this way during this time while others are coming down to tables and we're singing, I want to invite you to make your way out the doors, go and pack up your stuff, make your way out the doors to room 2400. So what that is, you just walk through the lobby toward the cafe and take a left right before you get to the cafe. It's right across from the cafe. You'll see signs. It says 2400. Um, but leaders from our global team We'll meet you there, just have an opportunity to meet you face-to-face and just pray with you uh, and uh, encourage you and then uh, head out from there. So I want to invite you, 2400, sort of make your way there in just a second when we start moving. And second invitation, like we just walked through the gospel and you have, you have heard the gospel, the good news of God's love for you and for all who have not put your faith in Jesus, like today is the day. And Today is the day to believe and be baptized. And if you have not been baptized as a follower of Jesus, today is the day. Like we have these shirts, we have shorts, we have towels, we have everything you need. I was talking to somebody in the lobby. They were like, explain, what do you mean you have shirts, shorts and towels? Like, I'm not sure how else to put it. We have shorts, we have towels, we have everything you need to be baptized today. So as others are walking to 2400, you can walk out these doors and just uh, go over toward the pool that's in the middle of the lobby and uh, You'll meet somebody there, go talk with somebody. If you're ready to be baptized, then you can be baptized today. And then uh, for uh, the few that are left in here, uh, then uh, I'm gonna invite you to, if you're a follower of Jesus, have been baptized, not sensed at this point, God leading you in the way we just talked about. I'm gonna invite you to come to these tables to get these elements of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I just urge you to trust in him. But... If you're not yet willing to do that, then uh, we invite you just to observe during this time. Stand with us, but observe a people who are celebrating his life, his death for us by spending our lives, either confessing faith in Jesus through baptism or going to the nations or celebrating the Lord's Supper. So, all right, are we clear? All right, let let me pray. God, be honored in our worship as we move right now, whether it's moving to tables to celebrate the Lord's Supper, moving to a room to talk about going to the nations, moving to a pool to confess faith in Jesus through baptism. Be glorified as we sing and we move with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. As always, if you would like to download the sermon audio or video, or even download the discussion questions that accompany every sermon, you can do all that and more at our website, radical.net. And while you're there, navigate to radical.net forward slash something needs to change. There you can learn about or purchase David's brand new book, Something Needs to Change a call to make your life count in a world of urgent need. It's a compelling account of David's 
trek through the Himalayas where he invites you to see what he saw at every turn, witnessing some of the most challenging needs in the world, coming face to face with the God who wants to use your life in greater ways than you could ever imagine. You can download a sneak peek of the book, purchase the Bible study, or even watch a replay of the full Something Needs to Change simulcast. You can find it all at radical.net forward slash something needs to change. Well, I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and until next time, join us there at radical.net.